I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. They're so joyful to look at. They all look like little jewels almost. They make some of the best crumbles, jams, jellies, coolies. Can you guess what we're growing today? Berries. I'm Guy Barter, and on today's show, we're learning how to grow some of the more unusual, from June berries to Chilean guavas, hearing what happened in 19th century gooseberry clubs, and picking blueberries with allotment lover Kirsty Ward. So let's get gardening with the RHS. I like berries a lot and I grow a nice little plantation on my allotment of raspberries and black currants, white currants, red currants. But to find out about some more unusual varieties, I caught up with RHS editor and berry lover Gareth Richards. Hello, Gareth. Have you been burying today? Hi, Guy. Yes, I have. Do you know what? I've just been out to the allotment and I've picked a few Chilean guavas. I know it's a phrase you don't often hear, is it? No, it certainly isn't. But before we go any further, since you've introduced Chilean guavas, tell us a bit about them. So they are a lovely little shrub. It's actually one of my absolute favourite plants. They're a little evergreen shrub. They get to about five feet tall and they have these beautiful like lily of the valley type flowers in late spring, early summer. And then about this time of year in October, they give you these beautiful fruits. They look like blueberries with a little sort of crown on the top, but they're bright kind of pinky beigey colour and then sometimes they turn really rich red and they have this wonderful kind of resiny but sort of bubblegum candy floss flavour and they're, they're something really unusual but really genuinely delicious. We've got them growing outside the laboratory at Wisley and I must say when walking past them I haven't actually seen many fruits. Did you have to search around to find a, a good plant that would actually crop? Well they are all supposed to crop but this one is a, um, a cultivar called Kapow and it is particularly heavy fruiting. The thing that I found is you have to plant them and then have a bit of patience, let them get going for a year or two. They kind of sit there and don't do much and then suddenly they they zoom away and they're quite productive after a couple of years. But the nice thing about them is while you're waiting, they're still quite a pretty plant. It's not sort of time wasted in the garden. As well as chilling guavas, is now a good time to be talking about berries? Absolutely, because it's a brilliant time of year to plant things. So you can either buy things pot grown in a garden centre and also you can get stuff mail order and bare root. And now if you buy plants bare root, it's brilliant, isn't it? Because there's a lot less peat and a lot less plastic involved. 
So I I know from your recent article in the Garden magazine that you're quite a berry grower. What other ones are you interested in? So I kind of struggle a bit on my allotment sometimes with raspberries because the soil is really, really dry and it's quite sandy and raspberries like a bit more of woodlandy conditions. So I've tried service berries, which is amelanchia, and they grow really, really well and they're absolutely delicious. Lots of people know them as a ornamental plant so people grow them because they've got lovely autumn colour they're a nice small tree they have nice blossom in the spring but actually they're really really tasty to eat if you net them from the birds that I think is my is my absolute go-to unusual ornamental edible but then there's other things like Eliagnus that's quite a big genus of plants there's lots of different species what about taste are there any that have particularly peculiar flavours are there any that are sweet and sour, for example? Well, some of the Eliagnus, the Umbellata and the Multiflora, they have really kind of punchy, sweet and sour flavours that I really, really enjoy. And they're definitely well worth growing for something a bit different. One that I have very mixed feelings about is fuchsias, because people often say, oh, fuchsias <laughs> they have lovely edible berries. And I am yet to find one that tastes good. I think they're all awful. But, you know, it's a matter of taste. And so tell me a bit about aronias, because I tried one at Wisley. It was absolutely ghastly. Um, <laughs> so, but it wasn't one that some recommended as a food, I have to say. So they have the common name chokeberry, which doesn't sound too appetising, does it? But Not really. <laughs> <laughs> they're very rich in anthocyanins and they have a lot of, lot of flavour. They have a lot of punch. So it's just kind of getting to grips with how you actually use them. I've seen them used online. There's an American forager who makes the most amazing hot chilli sauce using these aronia berries. So yeah, maybe don't expect them to be as sweet as a strawberry, but put them into preserves, put them into sauces, and you'll have a whole different galaxy of flavours that you might not have tried before. Now, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, I'd love to try these berries, but I haven't got much room. Mm. Are there any that are particularly well suited to container growing? Yes, absolutely. So again, sorry, I'm going to keep saying the Chilean guava because it is such a good Mm. plant. I've got mine in a pot that's about a foot or 30 centimetres across. And that's now four feet, 1.2 metres tall. Uh, I need to repot it really. But yeah, you can trim it and you can keep it smaller if you need to. It takes really well to a bit of pruning. Same thing with myrtle as well. You can topiarise your myrtle. That was a favourite of the Romans, apparently was to have topiarised myrtles. So yeah, they'd, mm. they'd be really good in a small garden. And again, if you want a small tree, then try an amelanchia because they're ideal for small gardens. They will never, they're never going to get taller than your house. They're never going to try and take over the world. We've had a good um, romp through your berry garden. Are there any other berries that you're itching to tell us about? There's a fun berry that I wrote about in the article, which is called the pineapple guava. Now, if anyone really likes a challenge, this this is a <laughs> this is a challenge because it's something that really, really needs the heat. It's a really good drought-tolerant plant, lovely evergreen leaves, and they grow a lot in New Zealand, and they are absolutely delicious. They're like, um, imagine a kiwi fruit mixed with sort of pineapple and bubblegum, and they're, yeah, they're wonderful things, but they're a challenge to fruit in the UK uh, mm. because they need lots of heat and warmth, and they don't fruit till kind of November time. But what you can do if you grow them is just eat the flowers, because the flowers have these thick petals that's really soft when you eat them. It's like eating sweets and they taste a bit like, again, they have that kind of bubblegummy type flavour and they're absolutely delicious. So yeah, if you don't get the fruits, just eat the flowers instead. Well, that's really useful. And thank you so much for sparing your time, Gareth. Lovely. Thank you so much for having me, Guy. 
I get to see quite a lot of unusual berries and I have to say I'm not always that convinced by them. So it's really nice to speak to someone who's devoted a lot of skill and time to getting the best from them so we've got a really good idea of their true potential. But there's one berry we couldn't ignore today. Cultivation of this fruit was first recorded in England as far back as the 13th century, but it wasn't until Victorian times that its popularity really rose. It's gone by many local names. Feeps, Grocer, Honey Blob. In case you haven't guessed yet, I'm talking about the gooseberry. Here to tell us all about its fascinating history is our librarian, Fiona Davison. So gooseberries have been with us for a long time. They originated in northern Italy in kind of mountainous, moist regions. And it's believed they came to this country in the Middle Ages, probably with the Normans. And there's lots of mysteries surrounding gooseberries. The first one is why are they called gooseberries? They don't look like geese. They have no association with geese. Geese don't particularly eat them. And the Oxford English Dictionary says they don't know. I mean, one theory is that the early gooseberry varieties that were grown were even more tart and sour than gooseberries are today. They've got a lot sweeter over time. And that would make them good to eat with fatty food to cut through the fat. Now, cooked goose is very fatty. So maybe it was the berry you cooked to eat with your geese. So maybe that's why they're gooseberries. But there's also a lot of folklore, like any plant that people have been around for a long time. They get stories attached to them. Everybody knows the phrase to play the gooseberry, you know, to be the unwanted third person on a date, um, a chaperone maybe. And the first time it's mentioned is in the early 1800s in writing, but it's probably much older than that. And maybe it's to do with the fact that geese are seen to be foolish and stupid animals, you silly goose, and maybe the poor old ladies who were often chaperones were referred to in that way as being dupes and easy to fool by the loving couples going on their courting outings, maybe? We don't know. I really like them because I really like the taste for a start. If there's a gooseberry dessert on the menu, that's the one I'll go for. But I also really like them because they're really beautiful and really pretty. And particularly in our collections at the Lindley Library, we're really, really fortunate. We've got some beautiful botanical illustrations of gooseberries. And probably the cream of those are paintings by the magnificently named Miss Augusta Withers. And she was the queen of gooseberry painters, queen of fruit painters. And she was commissioned by the RHS, the Horticultural Society of London, as it then was, to paint fruits. And she particularly excelled at painting gooseberries because when you look at a gooseberry, they're really attractive fruits. They're kind of almost jewel-like in their intensity, but they've got a translucent flesh and you can see veins through and tiny little hairs. And she captured all that beautifully. And we've got some really, really lovely watercolour paintings by her in a big album. Unfortunately, she met a sad end. Her husband went blind and she went into poverty and she ended up having to pawn her paintings. But she was the painting tutor of Queen Victoria and Queen Victoria bought some of the paintings to help her out in her time of need. The other reason to love a gooseberry is their fantastic names. And that comes from the fact that from the mid-1700s to the mid-1800s, 
there was a craze for growing and breeding gooseberries and you would have gooseberry clubs and gooseberry societies. And they were mostly in, because gooseberries thrive in moist and damp areas, they were mostly in the north of England and Scotland and you'd get these gooseberry clubs who would meet in pubs and working men would compete to grow the biggest and sweetest gooseberry. And these would be recorded in the gooseberry register and you would weigh your gooseberries in penny weights and grains. And that's those are the ancient weights that you would use to measure precious metals and jewels. And it's really lovely that they measured this jewel-like fruit in those measurements. And because it was competitive and you might win a trophy and you might win a little bit of money, which would help you out, the names that these gooseberry breeders gave their gooseberries are really fabulous. They're really kind of bombastic and things like Lomax's Victory, Mills's Champion, Hills's Sir Peter Teasel and Fox's Jolly Smoker. And they're just really evocative and lovely. And this image of men bringing their gooseberries to be measured on teeny tiny scales to weigh them. And it's unfortunately a hobby that's kind of gone out of fashion a little bit although there still are some gooseberry clubs going and they still hold competitions and I'm sure you want to know that the world record for growing a large gooseberry was set in 2018 in Cheshire and it was 41 penny weights and 11 grains big. The idea of a champion gooseberry I find very satisfying. So the thing about gooseberries, because they got larger and sweeter as these competitive breeders were breeding them to win their prizes at their gooseberry clubs, they captured the attention of someone quite surprising. Charles Darwin got quite fascinated by gooseberries and he used them as one of the prime examples in his study called Variation of Plants and Animals Under Domestication, which was published in 1868 because he said it was really interesting that Human beings, through selective breeding, had managed to change the gooseberry, which is a wild fruit, was tiny and really sour, um, was only a wild gooseberry, he said, was only 4.5 pennyweights. But already by 1830, they'd managed to get them up to 32 pennyweights. And Darwin thought this was fascinating. And it was part of the thinking and part of the studying that he did that got him towards discovering or describing the theory of evolution. So gooseberries have their part to play in science as well. (laughs) Who knew? If Fiona's inspired you to grow your own gooseberries, the key things to consider are giving them plenty of space. If you're short of space, you can train them as standards where you've got a long stalk, maybe a metre tall, and on top of that, your gooseberry bush. That works very well. And also have somewhere where you can keep the birds off because as they ripen, and in my mind, they're particularly delicious when they go soft and fragrant, birds will strip them unless you take precautions to keep the birds away. And also don't overfeed them. If you overfeed them, you can get problems with pests and also mildew. So a modest dressing of garden compost is plenty for gooseberries. And also be careful about the pruning. It really makes it so much easier to harvest them if you do a bit of winter pruning to stop them drooping down to the ground and a bit of summer pruning to get rid of the the young growth that won't crop. I'm particularly fond of the 
formless gooseberries because it's such a pain picking them. The ones that are commonly offered at the moment include Captivator, which is a bit low yielding, and one called Xenia, which is well worth considering. But other than that, gooseberries are easy and uh, a staple of any garden. Unfortunately, I've got resistance in my house to gooseberries, so I have to eat them myself. But I'm very fond of gooseberry jam in particular. So we've grown and picked the berries. Now let's get cooking. Throughout her career, grower and chef Anna Greenland has produced the highest quality organic food for star chefs such as Raymond Blanc, Tom Aikins and Jamie Oliver. Notepads at the ready. Let's hear some of her favourite berry-based recipes. They're so joyful to look at. They all look like little jewels almost. So I think even if you're not the best cook in the world, you can still make things look really pretty with berries because they're just visually really appealing. And they're versatile, so you can use them in sweet foods and desserts, but you can also use them in a, in a more savoury kind of context. Something that's quite versatile that I do is something called a shrub, which is a, not, not a plant. It's a drinking vinegar and can also be kind of adapted slightly to make a fruit vinegar with. So yeah, you could take any kind of berry really, or any kind of fruit, but raspberries are really nice. You sort of cook them down a little bit. You don't need to cook it for very long with some sugar. Maybe if you're using something like raspberries, then mint would be a nice addition. So you can you can experiment with herbs as well. And then you get a lovely sort of fruit syrup. You then add vinegar, so sort of raw apple cider vinegar to this. And it makes a sort of a, a cordial and you can then add that to a cocktail or to soda water or sparkling water as something that's really refreshing. Or you can use it to sort of drizzle over other fruit or desserts. So it's got that sweet, sour kind of punch that I really love and I think that works really well with berries. And the raw apple cider vinegar has some health benefits too, so it's not all bad. <laughs> So salads actually is a, is a really nice one to use different berries in and that can be very seasonal. So I've been making salads recently with apple and blackberries and, you know, nice sort of goat's cheese. And that works really well. Strawberries in a salad is lovely with tarragon. You can even macerate the strawberries for a little bit of time first. So add a little bit of sugar and some vinegar and some tarragon and just let that sit for a little bit. And then you could balance that with some more bitter leaves like chicory maybe would work quite well. And equally, actually, this time of year with blackberries, potentially you could, if you're roasting vegetables like celeriac or parsnips, it's quite nice to stir them through towards the end of the roasting. Maybe if you're drizzling them with a bit of honey or something, that's quite a nice way to use blackberries. Alpine strawberries, I love because you just you can't get them in the shops at all they just don't transport well they're the little wild strawberries the birds love them as well so they're nice to grow as a sort of a, an edging plant or under fruit trees they're lovely just straight off the plant they're beautiful kind of scattered free salads as well or if you have enough for a, a handful then blitzing them up and making a cocktail you could blitz them with a bit of vodka and make a cocktail with them that's quite fun or a non-alcoholic cocktail 
So some of the strawberry varieties that I love, Garaget is a really early one, and that's a, a variety from France, from the Brittany region. And then Marling Centenary is a good one from East Marling, East Marling Institute, where they do a lot of fruit research. And one called Malwina, which is much later. Yeah, that's really, really tasty. With the Alpines, one called Mignonette is lovely. And then White Soul, um, that's got a more pineapple-y sort of flavour. And then Alexandria as well is a nice, a nice Alpine. I mean, when I worked at 15 down in Cornwall, that's Jamie Oliver. Yeah, they're, they're not there anymore, I don't think. But for a long, long time, they served amazing food down there in Cornwall. And there were lots of really good local fruit growers, so beautiful berries. I remember a panna cotta recipe from 15 because that was quite a, an Italian sort of influence menu and they always used to have a panna cotta on a sort of creamy set custard and then this beautiful sort of whatever the seasonal berries were like a lovely seasonal fruit compote and that's just you know again you almost don't want to cook it down too much because you still want to keep the actual berries within it but just you know again just heating them slightly with a little bit of sugar Another plant that I grow, which works really well, actually, if you want to infuse it into any berry dishes that you're doing, is rose geranium. And it's a scented pelagonium. And it's just got that lovely rose kind of Turkish delight almost scent to it. And so if you were cooking any berries like blackberries, if you're making a blackberry and apple crumble, or um, I mean, it works really well with raspberries as well. Yeah, you would just tuck some leaves from the rose geranium into the fruit as it was cooking and it just imparts this, this quite delicate, slightly rose-scented flavour. So that's a really nice tip. So a final tip for anyone wanting to cook with berries. Be gentle with them <laughs> because they really require very little in the way of, of intervention. They will disintegrate pretty quickly if you overcook things. So yeah, allow them to kind of speak for themselves almost. And now to a firm favourite, a star of the berry world, blueberries. I like to eat them on my cereal in the morning. I always have a low sugar cereal and I sweeten it with lovely blueberries. Kirsty Ward, who runs the My Little Allotment Instagram account, is also a big fan. I find that lots of fresh fruit is quite expensive to buy and having a young family, we find that we get through punnets and punnets of strawberries, blueberries, blackberries every week. So I decided that growing my own fresh fruit that was accessible outside in my garden was probably going to save me a lot of money. I also know that it's grown organically, that there's no pesticides used on any of my fruit and to pick it fresh from your garden is just something that's always so nice to do. The best time to plant your blueberries will be either in the autumn or the spring and you want to make sure that when you're planting your blueberries they are very very big acid lovers so make sure that you're planting them into ericaceous soil and not straight into ground without possibly testing the pH. So for me I like to grow my blueberries in pots and I know exactly what soil or compost they're in. Luckily, blueberries are really easy plants to look after. So make sure you plant them in a nice big pot so that they've got room to grow. Make sure that the soil is light and 
well drained. You don't want to be planting blueberries into clay soil. They don't like to be heavy or wet. They like to have light free flowing soil. Um, so you can pop some drainage in the bottom of your pots when you are planting them. And throughout the summer, they are really easy to look after. Just make sure that they're watered with rainwater and not tap water as they can be a little funny. Other than that, they're really easy. I just leave my blueberries in pots on the patio to grow. And by sort of August, you've got a blueberry plant full of blueberries to pick. And that's it. Nice and easy. And because they're perennial, they come back every year. Harvesting blueberries is really simple. Literally, you can pick them off the plant, but you need to be very, very quick or you need to net them. So use a fine mesh like a scaffolding mesh net to sort of cover the plant if you don't want the birds to get them because <laughs> the birds will get to them before you do. Um, but make sure you use a fine mesh netting so that the birds don't get stuck in the netting whilst trying to steal your blueberries. I absolutely love blueberries, but my four-year-old normally gets to the plant before me, so I'm yet to really eat any of my blueberries that I have. But if we do, we like to eat them with other fresh fruits that we've picked, so with some blackberries and some fresh cream. Sounds delicious. Thanks, Kirsty. Well, that's all for today's show. If you like the idea of having some tasty treats straight from the garden next year, why not give berries a go? If you want to pick up any more useful tips about any of the berries we've covered today, head to rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast or check out our show notes. Until next time, it's goodbye from me, Guy Barter. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Crest robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Crest robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.